0: My name is um, Alicia. I came to Manchester when I was a student and I've stayed here since. And um, when I was getting into university doing the applications and everything, I had my mind dead set on going to London. I was gonna be a lawyer in London. My friend also had the same dream. We were gonna be lawyers at a top firm, we were gonna be living the high London life, and that was that was our goal, that's where we wanted to be. and I went to an American high school because I lived in a different country and there um, going to an English university was quite uh, not a common thing. So they didn't really understand the grading system or what was required to get into universities. So, you know, we had our predicted grades and our um, personal statement and that was really what got us into these universities or got these offers. But my American teachers didn't really understand that. They thought it was a lot based on different applications and different other grades. So when it came to having my predicted grades being... Um, sort of formulated by my teachers. They were a lot lower and not good enough as I thought that they were going to be and what I thought, oh, I really can take this off, and I thought what I could achieve. Um, So I went to some of my teachers and I was like, you know, I think I can do better. Like, was that really the grade that you predicted me at? And one of them said, oh, no, I didn't, I I think you can do better. I just didn't want to get your expectations up and, you know, grade you too highly. So I didn't get the grades that I needed to go into these London universities and it was immediate and non-negotiable rejection so I was very obviously upset um, had a bit of a breakdown and my plan to become this London lawyer had failed and I came to Manchester and said and just a disclaimer that was definitely the right choice Manchester is better than London and I've had a better time here Um, but that decision that my teachers made completely changed my life so I've come to Manchester and like I said it was definitely the better choice I've met friends that I can't imagine my life to be without I met my husband here so now that's how my life is going to be changed because of that I um, came to a church that I really loved. I'm doing a job that has not very much to do with law, but I love it. Um, so that decision that my teacher made completely changed my life um, and changed my life for the better. But at the time, I couldn't really see that. But that single encounter had quite an impact on my life. And we've been looking at the last few weeks about life-changing encounters with Jesus and last week, Colin preached about um, how the centurion servant servant's life was completely changed by Jesus. And this week, we're continuing that series, looking at how we encounter Jesus and our lives change drastically. It goes in a direction that we didn't expect, but with God's intervention, he changes that and changes our plans. So today we're reading from Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. So I'm going to dive right into it. It will be on the screen behind me as well, I think. Um, but you can look at it in your Bibles as well if you want. So it says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. The man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. So this man's encounter with Jesus completely changed his life. And there's three main things that stood out to me that I'm going to speak about today. Firstly, is that Jesus' forgiveness of this man completely changed his life. Jesus' physical healing of this man changed his life. And finally, that the man's friends brought him to have this encounter with Jesus, and that's quite important too. So I know when we we're all younger, I'm sure we've had this experience where you're sitting at the dinner table... You want to have dessert, but what's standing in front of you is the vegetables that you have to eat in order to be allowed to have that dessert. That was quite a common occurrence for me, and I remember sitting at the table for hours, wanting the dessert, but not wanting to touch the vegetables in front of me. And looking back on it now, I realise why I needed to eat the vegetables, because they were healthy. But I remember sitting and looking at adults who would eat the vegetables and eat them willingly, being like, what boring people are you that you would actually eat the vegetables that are quite clearly disgusting but at the time I didn't realize that my mom was doing this because I needed to be healthy that chocolate pudding wasn't going to keep me healthy but but the vegetables would Um, but I didn't realize that at the time And so this story in Matthew is actually told in the other Gospels as well. Um, But the way they tell it in the other Gospels gives a bit more details about how the man was brought to Jesus. He was lowered by four friends in a hole in a roof on a mat to Jesus, who was in a crowded room so they couldn't access him anywhere else. And so as in my story, as I really wanted the dessert first, what I actually needed was the vegetables first. Similarly in this story, everyone's natural instinct in that um, situation would be to think that Jesus would heal the man of his paralysis first. That's what our first thought might be. The man's paralysed. That is probably the biggest problem in his life right now. So that's probably the first thing that needs to be addressed. He's had to be dragged in and lowered down on a mat by his four friends. You know, his paralysis is quite a big thing in his life. But Jesus sees it slightly differently. The very first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth is to say, your sins are forgiven. To put that into perspective, what Jesus is doing by forgiving him is what being saved by Jesus for us is. It's our sins forgiven so that we can have a relationship with a totally pure and a totally holy God. So actually what Jesus does here is more important than physical healing. The paralysed man and us included are probably thinking that if he had just, you know, been healed of his physical problems, everything would probably be fine in life. He'd be able to go about his life a lot easier. He'd be able to do physically things that he has to, has, has to have help with and his life would be a lot easier. And in a shallow sense, he is right. It would make his mortal life a lot easier and much easier to get about if he was healed. But Jesus sees a bigger and a more pressing issue. Our sin separates us from God and so that is the most important issue to address. If that's not addressed, then our time on earth won't actually matter in eternity. Jesus recognises that there is nothing more important than having a relationship with God. And the only way to get that relationship is to forgive the sin that's in the way of that. It's important to remember that Jesus does heal the body in the end. The Bible doesn't promote this idea that the physical and material doesn't matter in some sense. Because the Bible actually talks about eventually we'll have a new earth that's physical and perfect. But it, it does show that our physical body does matter in some sense. And, you know, physical restoration is something that Jesus does do, but it's not the primary need that we have. Jesus recognises that forgiveness is the first need. So when this man encounters Jesus with forgiveness, it is truly life-changing. It forgives him of the sin that separates him from God and puts him in a place where he can have a relationship with the creator of the universe that isn't tainted by any sin, I think what's really interesting about this passage is that Jesus is so quick to forgive the paralyzed man. There isn't anything that comes out of the man's mouth. Jesus immediately goes in there and says, you are forgiven. And throughout the Bible, it's clear that in our relationship with God, there is an element of um, repenting or owning up to um, to the things that we do wrong. And Jesus was truthfully the son of God, so we wouldn't act in a way that contradicts our need to do this in our relationship with God. So how do we explain how Jesus is just so willing and says, you're forgiven, before any words leave this man's mouth? I think if we look at verses 2 to 4, we can kind of see how that comes in. And the verses say, some men brought to him a paralysed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, that bit's important, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming, knowing their thoughts. Again, that's important. Jesus said to them, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Twice in that passage, Jesus is able to see something that's quite intangible to us and most likely missed by us. He sees the faith of the men and the paralyzed man, not just as a physical demonstration, but perhaps as well he can truly see the longing in their hearts, the longing of the friend and the paralyzed man to come to see Jesus. The same way that he can see the thoughts of the teachers of the law. So many times in the Bible, in the Old and the New Testament, it speaks about God knowing the contents of our heart and our minds, hearing our desires and our worries, and seeing the position of our heart and teaching us to point our hearts and minds towards God. Tim Keller spoke on this passage, and I just wanted to mention him because he so clearly kind of highlights what I think is going on here. And he says that when Jesus sees this paralyzed man's heart, he sees a partial or imperfect or inarticulated longing for grace and mercy. And that's what he responded to. This man was longing to see Jesus so keenly that he had his friends lower him through a hole in the roof on a mat into a crowded room just so he could see Jesus and get that mercy from him. The repentance and desire for mercy is seen in his heart rather than in his words. And Jesus snaps that up immediately and uses that as an opportunity to forgive. And it's so clear that Jesus is just so willing to forgive and give grace. He sees our hearts and our longing for mercy and that we recognise that we've done wrong, even when we can't really articulate it into words. He's so attracted to us and eager to forgive us that he he doesn't wait for us to have the physical words, you know, to be able to say, I've done this, this and this. If, you know, Sometimes we can't even articulate that or put that into words. He looks for that longing in our hearts and that open door to forgiveness, that recognition that we've done wrong, no matter how unarticulated or quiet it is. And that's why he forgives first. It's the most important condition to fix. Sin stops us from having a relationship with God, and Jesus solves that through for his forgiveness. It only requires us to notice our sin and reach out to God, in however small, messy, or unarticulatable that is. We just need to cry out to Jesus and he sorts out the rest. For us, we can see in hindsight how Jesus actually does this. He went to the cross and he took our sins. We now don't have to be physically brought into his presence on a mat by four of our friends through a hole in the roof because his forgiveness and salvation is is there and it's there for us at any point in our life. So the forgiveness is the most important thing that Jesus did, and that's why he did it first. But we can't gloss over the fact that Jesus actually did a really impressive miracle here. He healed, a paraly- he healed a paralyzed man, and he was able to get up and walk home. I don't know about you in primary school, but there was always that one substitute teacher who just no one listened to, no one cared about. And for us, it was our French teacher. She'd be trying to teach us some French words, and poor, poor lady, we were just speaking over her. No one could, you know, No one was doing anything. And one time it happened and she walked out of the classroom. No one noticed. No one really cared. She came back in with Mrs Black, who was our really scary head teacher. And Mrs Black stood at the front of the classroom. People started to get a bit quiet a bit. And then all Mrs Black said was be quiet. And then there was complete silence in the room. And she walked back out again. And that was all she needed to do to get us to be quiet, was to stand at the front of the room. And Jesus has that kind of authority, not out of fear in the way that he fears us into silence, but just that he can speak single words and commands, and that happens immediately. He has that authority. When he heals, it's not a big show of magic or gestures, but it's just simple commands because he has that authority to heal from God. In the passage, it says, When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. The people of that time, they knew about God already. God was something that was so ingrained in their lives. But what was new and changing in this time was that this man Jesus had come and he was he was starting his ministry on earth and he was claiming to be the son of God and therefore could do these acts that only God could do before. So when people actually physically saw that drastic miracle happening, that was confirming the rumours that Jesus was the son of God. People were realising that they were actually standing in the presence of God as a human where God had been this sort of really holy and sort of far away concept before. They were now standing next to a man who was human, fully human, but he was also fully God. And that was quite a new and powerful thing for them. And it meant that this man had come to earth, but he had full authority to do exactly what God was already and had been doing before. So Jesus' power as the son of God and his ability to heal was life-changing for this man quite simply because he was able to get up and walk again where he hadn't been able to before. Jesus carried out many healings and many miracles um, like this throughout the Bible. This wasn't the only instance. But I think one of the biggest questions that we have as Christians now is, what happens now that Jesus has ascended to heaven? You know, Jesus had this authority to carry out these acts and these healings, but he's not physically here with us. He's, he's spiritually here, but he's not physically here. So what does that mean for us and how we can use these gifts and healing? Well, if you look into Acts 2... Acts talks about the day of Pentecost, that's the day that the Holy Spirit came and sort of people felt it for the first time. This this day takes place after Jesus ascended to heaven and the apostles, and that's the followers of Jesus, were gathered together and they had their first experience of the Holy Spirit. Now the chapter's quite long, but I'm going to read through some verses that just kind of outline this. So it says from verse 1, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, this verse 14, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. No this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days God says I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants both men and women I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Then a bit further on it says God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Then a bit later on it says, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then towards the end it says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So this is how we know that Jesus still works among us. Although although Jesus isn't with us physically here on earth, he left us with his Holy Spirit, which is how we work in his power, but through us. The power and the ability to heal lies with God and God alone, but he he uses us through his Holy Spirit to have these things happen still today. The apostles in this passage were no different or more gifted than you or I could be, but it was the Holy Spirit that was with them that was able to perform miracles even when Jesus was no longer physically there. God is the same yesterday as he is today, as he will be tomorrow. So if Jesus was able to heal the paralyzed man then, he's able to heal now. He just has to do it differently. He has to do it through us. And I think this is something that we don't do enough. It doesn't have to be sort of a big rigmarole of healing at a special event. It should be part of our everyday life. If we ask the Holy Spirit into our our everyday life, we can ask for healing in our everyday life. It doesn't mean it will always happen. God's plan for healing is always better than our own, even when we don't understand it. But it does mean that the, doesn't mean that the gift of healing should just be stored away for special events only. We can physically have life-changing en- encounters with Jesus and through this healing. The last thing I want to chat about, is just short and sweet point, but it's about the friendship that you kind of see in this story. So as I said, this event appears in the other Gospels but as well as in Matthew. But Matthew's telling is different because there's, there's less emphasis on the friends physically being able to bring the paralysed man to Jesus in the sort of dramatic manner that the other stories outline. As I said before, the paralysed man was brought on a mat by his friends and lowered through a hole in the roof into a crowded room in a house so that he could see Jesus. If we actually kind of sort of picture that happening now, that is quite a big sort of dramatic event happening. Someone kind of just gets lowered into the room in front of Jesus. And, um, but the way Matthew describes it, he focuses less on the physical ability of the friends that is needed in order to bring the man to Jesus, but more on the faith that they had to bring the man to Jesus. The man physically couldn't have made it to Jesus by himself, But his friends only brought him to Jesus because they themselves had faith that that he would be healed by Jesus. Our friends can enable us and encourage us towards these life-changing encounters with Jesus. Friends are the ones who journey through life with us and encourage us and lead us in different directions. Sometimes we have to be the friend that directs and encourages and gives wisdom to our friends, but other times we have to rely on our friends to guide us in the right direction and give us wisdom. So the question is who are you surrounding yourself with and would they take you to Jesus when you're not able to do it yourself? Matthew Henry who wrote quite a comprehensive commentary on the Bible says this about the passage. The faith of the friends of the paralytic in bringing him to Christ was a strong faith. They firmly believed that Jesus Christ both could and would heal him. A strong faith regards no obstacles in pressing after Christ. It was a humble faith. They brought him to attend on Christ. It was an active faith. When we interact with Jesus and encounter him it is truly life-changing but sometimes obstacles do get in the way. Being in community with people who love and serve Jesus can sometimes be the people who guide you through those obstacles towards Jesus when you can't do it yourself. Get stuck into a community like that. Jesus is so ready to come and have an encounter with us. He's so eager and ready to forgive and save us. He likes to work through us and use his Holy Spirit so that people can still have life-changing encounters of healing today. And he gifts us with um, the ability to lead our friends through it as well but it, so that we can be among friends that can guide us through these obstacles. I'm going to pray now, but before I do that, I just want to say if you have any questions about anything that I've talked about, kind of t- touched on a lot of topics about healing the Holy Spirit and you know how it's alive in our lives today... Um, Just if you're confused or if you're new to this, don't hesitate to speak about it. This is something that God has gifted us with so amazingly today that we want to use it and use it well. That if you're confused, just come and chat to me about it. So I'm just going to pray and then we're going to go back into time of worship. Yeah, God, I thank you so much that the encounter that this man had so many years ago just shows how incredible and miraculous you are Lord but I thank you that it's not something that is just left in the Bible left to those years ago that it's something that we can experience daily and yeah I just pray for I just I thank you Lord that you are so ready to forgive us and that you're ready to take away our sins so we can have this amazing relationship with God and I just pray that people won't feel any fear about that it's not to be Guilted or condemned, but it's actually so that you can just love us and wrap us up in your arms. And I just pray that if we're struggling to reach out to you for forgiveness, Lord, that just our hearts will be open to you, Lord, that it doesn't have to be some eloquent, you know, verbal prayer that gets you to come close to us. You are already waiting and you see our hearts that are longing, Lord. So I just pray for longing and open hearts today, Lord. I pray that people will just feel your presence like they've never ever felt it before. And I just pray for physical healing as well, Lord. I pray it's something that we won't ever forget or take advantage of, Lord. I pray that if there's anyone here that needs healing, Lord, that you'll just be highlighting it to them and that we can pray over it as well. I pray that we don't fear away from the miraculous power, Lord, because you gave your Holy Spirit and, and it's here and it's with us right now, Lord. And I just pray for more of your Spirit. I pray that as we worship, you'll be speaking to people in amazing ways and that we'll just... We'll really hear from you today, Lord. And yeah, thank you for friendship and community. I pray that anyone who feels outside of that now will know who they are and will be able to reach out to them, Lord. Lord, I thank you for who you are and for your grace and for your mercy and your salvation. Amen.